0: Radio influence as America's zone coach, premier thought leader and the world's number one coach of champions, Jim Fannin is the go-to person. He has guided the careers of the best pro athletes from 10 sports and business executives from 50 industries. He has coached individuals, families, relationships, and students in simplifying and balancing their lives for more than 40 years. From winning Wimbledon, the World Series, and a gold medal, to losing 68 pounds, saving lost marriages, or overcoming financial ruin,
1: Welcome, everyone, to the Jim Fannin Show. I'm Jim Fannin. I'm your host. And with me, is Seth, the producer sidekick, Seth Hurd. Hey, Seth, are you in the zone? Good morning. You know what? I am and I feel
2: great. And I want you to tell, tell me about why that's happening, because um, I actually maybe got a little bit of bad food last night. And I was up almost all night, except for maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And I walked through some of the tools, the reset tool, visualization that we were going to have a great show today feel awesome so why do i feel so good on
1: no sleep because you love what you do and you do what you love you know when you when you do what you love to do and you've been behind the mic many times in your lifetime and you love it dopamine flows into the bloodstream that the enjoyment level of every human that's the end product really of the whole score system there's self-discipline there's concentration. Optimism, relaxation, enjoyment. Last and not least is enjoyment. And once you get a big jolt of dopamine by laughing, by skipping, by by having fun, doing what you do, uh, it's a mood changer. It's an attitude changer, and it may be the missing ingredient in the zone cafe that you need to get in the zone.
2: Which I, we're going to get into in a, in a bit. Um, do you want to hit on who's in the zone before we, we get into uh, well, let's enjoyment? Talk, yeah, yeah, let's
1: talk about who's in the zone. Taylor Swift's in the zone. That That's amazing. Most it, it, stream
2: it, song it, ever.
1: Well, first of all, she just came off a, a court case. Somebody groped her at a concert in front of hundreds of people. Uh, she was offended by it. Uh, a lawsuit uh, ensues, and uh, she wins, and as soon as the lawsuit is over, attention's on her, she drops an album, comes out with a top single. Sounded like a great publicity stunt, but I, I don't think it really was, but uh, uh, that song broke all records. She's in the zone. What, what is the name of that hit song? Uh,
2: it's called Look What You Made Me Do, and I, I've got to say not somebody who's you know worked with or hung out with Taylor, but having known people who work with her, when you talk about those energy boomerangs, if you start throwing out a lot of negativity, that kind of comes around and smacks you upside the dome. She is somebody that has really been so positive. Uh, I think that's one of the things that ke- that's kept her in the zone because, from very early on in her career, she started. She was, you know, sixteen. Um, she's been a very, very positive and giving person, and I would say that's well. She's had
1: her. she's had some definite negative relationships. Uh, She's flipped those around and turned those into hit songs, (laughs) much to the chagrin of all of her uh, exes, her ex-boyfriends. But I would say breaking records with this new uh, cut uh, on her uh, new LP, she's definitely in the zone. Now, last week, Seth, we had uh, Giancarlo Stanton, uh, uh, the Marlins, in the zone. He's still in the zone. He had 50 home runs. Uh, September's not here, and he still has 50. Uh this guy could hit sixty home runs this year, so and i 'm rooting for him, so he 's locked in so if you 're a pitcher out there listening uh you might want to throw inside and walk the guy you know i'm not sure <laughs> i'm not sure i want I want to be pitching uh to John Carlos Stanton right now and
2: if we can hit one more actually an entire company that's in the zone we can almost say Amazon and all of us because Amazon bought Whole Foods. Drop their prices 43% in a day. Unbelievable.
1: So. Unbelievable. I mean, we shop at Whole Foods, and I, I'm telling you, you, you can't get out of there. And this is a family of three. You can't get out of there for less than 300 bucks, 400 bucks. my wife spent. I'm not sure what we're doing, <laughs> what we're eating. But it has been extremely expensive. But to drop your prices 43%, uh, it's pretty terrifying. Uh, There's a lot going on in my area. You know, Pete's Fresh Market, a new grocery chain, is coming into the area. We knew that Whole Foods was nervous about it. Uh, Now, by dropping their prices, holding the quality on their foods, uh, I I would say they're probably smiling, happy in the zone. But there is a food war going on. Let's make no mistake about it. Uh, And then you've got Google. Uh, that's looking to partner with walmart uh i'm not sure what's going to happen 10 20 years from now with where our food's going to be coming from could be interesting uh but right now amazon uh with one of the richest (laughs) men in the world or is bezos the richest i believe he's the richest man in the world uh his stock price is uh Uh, Just went up and Whole Foods, you're in the zone. You're back in the zone, I guess. When you said, you know, you don't know where our food's going to
2: come from. I almost feel like it's going to be a really futuristic 1950s because you're going to have a milkman again, except
1: it's going to be a drone. (laughs) It's going to be a drone and he's delivering two pills, Uh, one for your main course and one for dessert. Thank you very much. (laughs) I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone with my drone. So, yes. Uh. You know, being in the zone, it's really the only place to be, but enjoyment is such a major factor. And I've seen the enjoyment level drop. I mean, we've got a horrific, horrific um, phenomenon happening, Uh, a flood of the ages in Houston. Uh, So let's just send out a heartfelt, we're with you, Uh, we're sending love, we're sending positive vibes. To all my friends, all my clients in Houston, I've been in contact with a lot of them. I've got uh, one friend down there, Janine. Hey, Janine, shout out to you. Found a couple of inches on the bottom floor of her condo. She's had to scramble up to the top floor. It's a tough time down there. And um, the passion of the volunteers, the passion of the Red Cross, when you see this, Uh, that's America at its finest. So America, let's get in the zone. Houston, uh, we're with you. Get back in the zone. Hopefully when all this clears, you'll get a little enjoyment back in your life. But right now, we know it's tough. Well, before we get to our uh, next guest, I've got a special guest, one of my best friends, uh, Eric Soderholm, uh, played baseball Mm. in 1971, 1980. Uh, Eric's on the line, but Eric, before I introduce you, uh, you've had uh, a fun career, a banged out 102 home runs, so that's awesome. Uh, not many people can say they've done that, but the reason I want you on my enjoyment show, which is all about enjoyment, Eric, I don't know how many times I've been with you, but I've laughed every time. We've always had fun. I, I don't think I've ever seen you in a bad mood. Eric Soderholm,
3: welcome to the Jim Fannin Show, man. Oh, uh, man. We've had some great, great stories together. We're both storytellers, so uh, it makes for an interesting conversation. Not every time we're together, it's fun. You're know like a brother that. from another mother.
2: <laughs> I could tell when you picked <laughs> up the phone that we were going to have fun. I, You just, your optimism and your. Um, your spark just right away. It's like, okay, this 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 interview is already gone. Well,
1: I, I want to take care of a little business for you because you not only had a great career, uh, nineteen seventy-one, nineteen eighty, you were on the storied uh South Side Hitman, Chicago White Sox. We're gonna talk about that in a second. But you've transitioned away from baseball, about as far away from baseball as possible. Yeah. And in uh, <laughs> a positive uh Awesome way. You created Solder World. Now, it sounds like this futuristic place with Eric Sodder out of your brain. Tell us a little bit about Solder World. What is it? What's it about? And what's the philosophy behind it? And where, well, where is it? it First it of all,
3: Eric, where, where is Sodder World? Well, we're right off the Stevenson Expressway. Go south on Route 83. About two miles down on your right-hand side, you'll see a big A-frame log cabin building. Now, this the is in Hinsdale,
1: Hinsdale, Illinois. Yeah, I was going to say we probably well, better well, translate yeah, that for a national this, international this, audience. This A-frame <laughs> on this amazing piece of property, uh, Hinsdale, Illinois. Tell us a little bit about what, what kind of services? What is it? It's a wellness center. Tell us about it.
3: Well, uh, we we want people to uh, just realize that life should be enjoyed. And uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of chaos and a lot of stress going on in our world. So I wanted to create a little oasis. Uh, it was really the idea of my daughter, Misty. She was working for Deepak Chopra out in San Diego way back when, about 20 years ago. And she just called me one night and said, Dad, we need to do what he's doing out here uh, in the Midwest. The Midwest needs this, a place for stress relief, a place where people can come with an open mind, a place that has no affiliation with religion, but yet it's very spiritual. He said, uh, we need to do that. And I, I was getting burnt out. I, had, I owned a company called Front Row Tickets for a lot of years, and uh, StubHub came along and kind of made things difficult for us. So I was ready to kind of do something different anyway. And uh, so we started in a little 1,000-square-foot shopping center Um, and then the people next to us went out of business. So we grabbed that spot and created a yoga studio. And then the people next to them went out of business and we grabbed that spot. So pretty soon (coughs) on a five-year lease, we, uh, we own three spaces and the landlord came into me and said, look, let's do another five-year lease. Obviously you're doing okay. And I said, well, yeah, I think we can do that. He said, well, that's the good news. The bad news is I got to raise the rent because you now have three. Uh, things that you're gonna owe for improvements on the property. I need to put new heating and air conditioning up. This mess. So I'm gonna have to raise your rent like seven, eight hundred dollars a month. And I go, what? I said, there goes all of our profit. I said, I could probably build a place and have less of a mortgage to the bank than I'm paying you as a bluff. And he he called my bluff and he said, well, go ahead, smart. Let's see if you can do it. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, so, I was going, so, oh my god, what what am I gonna do with Solderworld now when my lease is up? Well, the story is so cool. It's it's really about the universal divine synchronicity. Three days later, a lady walks in and she's late for her massage. And she says, listen, this is the reason I'm late. She she slaps a piece of paper, which was directions from downloaded on MapQuest to Sodderworld And it said Soderwald was located on Route 83 and Nielsen Lane. And it had a big circle and an X. She said, I've been driving down there in that street, Nielsen Lane, and there's nothing but this wooded piece of property. And and a few houses in the back, and I'm knocking on people's doors asking, hey, is this solder world? And And one lady finally said, no, I think it's in the shopping center up there on 91st Street, which is about a half mile away. She said, that's why I'm late. you got to go map and get this straight out. And I said, oh, okay, I will do that. Thank you. That's, uh, you can have your full hour massage. So she goes back. There's a guy, as God is my witness, there's a guy sitting in the lobby waiting to pick up his wife and her, her massage. He steps up and he says, Eric, I know you. I was a Sox fan. You don't know me. My name is Joe Justin. I'm with Remax Realtor. And that property that she's talking about on Nielsen Lane, our company, uh, had list that property and I've sold that property twice personally myself and both deals have fallen through because it's deemed a wetland piece of property and you can only build on part of it. He said, you could build a place on the front part of that and maybe someday they'll let you create like a little garden of Eden out back or something. And I said, you know what? That's a good idea. And that's how Solder World got born. We actually went through the process, and the guy gave me a month-to-month lease until we got this place built, and then we moved in uh, in April of 97. So we've been here 20 years now, and it's probably the best-kept secret in the Midwest. I just don't believe in advertising and trying to convince people that they got to spend their money to come to my place. I wanted this to be a total word-of-mouth place, not about money. Because front-row tickets was certainly about greed and money. I wanted this place to be about healing, where I could bring all the great healers and put them under one roof, and people could come with an open mind and work on themselves and start to feel good and enjoy life. And I, I will tell you,
1: when you walk behind the A-frame, you you know, you see the A-frame from a very, very busy highway. I don't know how many cars pass that in a day, but Tens of thousands of cars. And when you walk out back, you're like, where am I? I mean, there's this big pond. There's a swan. uh, There's a koi fish pond next to it. And the most amazing thing, you can walk around the pond. This is a very large piece of property. You walk around it, and there's a picture uh, and a statue of Jesus Christ. And then there's Buddha. And, and then there's all these great philosophers, religious leaders, and there's a little story about all of them. And uh, it's pretty amazing. You even have a labyrinth that you can walk. So it's a very yeah. healing, peaceful, non-religious place. It's all about relaxation and enjoyment. And you know, you know what, Eric? This entire facility embodies your spirit. And... You had that warrior spirit spirit from 1971 to 1980. And I got to tell you, baseball may be the most grueling job. You could easily play 200 games a year when you factor in spring training and the fall. Uh, and it's a grind. And you can lose the enjoyment uh, for what you do. Uh, tell me one of my favorite stories. You've got so many. Uh, tell me the story about the South Side hitman. Uh, you had a couple of stars on that team. What year was that? I think you hit 25 or 21 home runs that year, I believe. Am I if I'm
3: accurate? What yeah, year- that's correct. That's correct. 25, That was 1977. They nicknamed us the South Side Hitman, and I didn't realize this, but we, as a team, hit more home runs in one season than any other team in the history of baseball. Wait, well, wait, well, well, hold, hold up, that. hold
1: up! You're talking more than Mickey Mantle and Roger Maris that year, even. Yeah, yeah.
3: I'm but, I'm talking about yeah. a combined team total. I mean, Richie Zisk uh, had 31, Oscar Gamble 30. I had 25. Spencer and Chet Lemon both had over 20. Uh, Ralph Gar had a bunch. I mean, there was just a whole lot of runs being scored. We were a little short on pitching. Um, and so that's probably why we didn't win the pennant. We actually had a five-game lead in late August, <clears throat> and then uh, we went like 15 and 15 in the last 30 games of the season, and Kansas City went like 25 and five. So they went by us like we were standing still. How, but it was an mu- exciting year. Yeah,
1: how much fun is it playing on a team where the line, the lineup is moving, the lines moving? Everybody expects to to get a hit, get a jack. That's got to be a lot of fun.
3: Well, it was fun going to the park. And the exact opposite happened the very next year. just took off to Texas, and so did Oscar. And so we kind of lost the core of our team. And uh, Bill Veck tried to replace it with uh, Bob uh, Bobby Bond Sr., who was at really at the end of his career. And a guy named Ron Bloomberg, left-handed DH kind of guy, couldn't do much other than maybe hit right-handers, and he didn't even quite frankly do that. So well, <laughs> so it was hard to replace sixty some homers with uh, with those two guys, and so we went from looking forward to going to the park every day because of the excitement to to the next year. Just God, it was a drudgery to get through the season. So but one year, 77...
1: one year, one year, one year, Eric, you're enjoying everything, and the following year, it's totally the opposite.
3: No enjoyment. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I had so much fun in uh, seventy seven having a good year coming off of a serious knee operation where the doctors had told me that I probably would not play anymore. And not only to be able to play, which was exciting to have my best year ever hitting 25 home runs and hitting 280, was just, just a thrill. It was a great, great year. And then I had a funny thing happen that year. I wrote a poem uh, called a warm day in August that, that, that just kind of came out in August when we were winning and it, it, it got so popular. That Howard Gosell had me do it on Monday night baseball in Boston. I had to recite the poem and it even made the, uh, sports, the Tribune and the, and the Sun Times here. They, uh, they both published the poem. Um, so that, that made the year a lot of fun. That poem did probably more for my career than any home run I could have ever hit that year. But it was, it was great to come back from knee surgery and to have an exciting team and to write that poem. So it was a triple threat year for me.
2: And in my head, I can hear Jim saying, you are more than just a baseball player. You are a soul having an awesome experience. And I, you know, I think having your poem published just exemplifies that to a I,
1: I need my – look, my enjoyment level, because you're on, on the air with me, is extremely high. But it's going to go through <laughs> the roof. Bring it through the roof.
3: I got to hear the poem. The, just so you know, the people in the poem, Bob Lemon uh, was our manager of our, our, the White Sox 77 hitman team. Uh, in the poem also is Nolan Ryan. I think most people remember him. He was a very famous pitcher, uh, Hall of Fame pitcher. Also in the poem is Joe Rudy, uh, who was a famous outfielder for the Oakland Athletics. And so, so the poem goes like this. It was a warm day in August when history was made. The people in the box seats, they were hunting for shade. The bases were loaded, and it was the last inning. And from the sound of the crowd, you knew we weren't winning. Then out of the dugout came Richie Zisk, and everyone knew the ball would be kissed. Legendary tells of Casey at the bat, but today it was the Polak who tipped his hat. Then cursing and swearing came from the stands when Richie was way back by Bob Lemonsand. Astonishing look came over Zisk's face when Lemon said, Soderholm's taking your place. As Eric stepped from the dugout, came a scream from the fans. You can't hit, solder home the big pole, star man. Never before in history had they pinched it for Zisk, especially with a bad nick free agent who was at the risk. This has to be a mockery of dirty, rotten shame to pinch it for a man who's a sure hall of fame. Eric heard not a word as he strolled to the plate, but boy, he noticed the crowd's eyes and they were full of hate. God help me this one time kept going through my mind. If I ever get a hit, please let it be this time. Nolan Ryan looked in and thought, this should be a cinch to throw three strikes by this rider of the bench. Strike one was the call from the man in blue. And four pitches later, it was now three and two. Now everything wrote on the very next pitch. Eric poor Amanda, it would Eric stay a poor or Would he suddenly be rich? And the crack of the bat, a long drive to right. And the back of Joe Rudy's uniform was the only thing in sight. Then the roar from the crowd was a deafening scream. Ah, then Eric fell out of bed. It was only a dream. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: I bet you, you got so much mileage from that poem. I cannot believe you oh. were with uh, Howard Cosell,
3: Monday Night Football. That and is Monday amazing. night Monday night baseball, man. Could you believe that? Baseball, Howard Cosell, that <laughs> poem did more for my career than any home run I could have ever hit. Honest <laughs> to that.
1: Well, Eric, every time I've met you my enjoyment level has gone up. You've had an awesome career. I'm proud of your career. I'm proud to know you. And I, I got to tell you, the Solder World Complex in Hinsdale, Illinois, it's really an embodiment of your enjoyable spirit because you, you're, uh, you're a, a, an amazing soul having some fun human experiences, but you're full of <laughs> You got to keep it up, brother. Keep the enjoyment going baseball player, average MLB player probably loses 15
2: pounds because the season is so grueling, right? You're playing 200 games, no matter how much muscle you put on, no matter how much you're working out, you're going to kind of, your body's going to shrink up a little bit. I think it's the only sport that's like that. So you're facing that such a long season and man, I can tell just how much fun you bring to every day. So was that an intentional thing? Was that like a muscle you had to build throughout your career to be able to step into uh, the zone of enjoyment at all the time or did you just have that or was it when you met Jim or can you unpack that for me?
0: Uh, I
3: wish I have known Jim back when I played, I probably would have made a hall of fame instead of the hall of shame. <laughs> 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 but, uh, know I met Jim well after my career. My son, Chad, uh, did some, uh, marketing, filming work where he does film stuff and, you know, makes commercials and things of that nature. And he helped Jim with a project. And Chad just said, man, you gotta meet my dad. You guys are about to be like brothers. And sure enough, when we saw each other, looked in each other's eyes, I said, man, I, I, I think we're supposed to meet each other. <laughs> and it's been a endearing friendship for a lot of years since that point. Yeah, I didn't get hit with the whole uh, spiritual bug until I was about 52. Uh, so I had, you know, my career was over at 31, kind of prematurely. Tell us. I got a base hit in the bottom of the ninth on the zero zero ball game. And, you know, you remember Harry Carey and Jimmy Pearsall. They were our announcers back then. And, uh, so I'm on first base with nobody out and unbeknownst to me, cause I couldn't hear it, but I got 20 phone calls after the game. You can't believe what Pearsall said about you. And I said, what? He said, if I can't believe Bob Lem is not pinch running for Soderholm, it takes three base hits to score him from first base. And so. So I, you know, obviously you hear that. And and so I confronted Jimmy in the batting cage next day. Jimmy, come on. I know I've had knee surgery and I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but I don't clog the bases up. And uh, he says, well, hell, I could beat you in a race. And I go, what? You're a 50-year-old guy that's had a heart attack. How are you going to beat me in a race? He says, I'll race you. What do you want to race for? I said, I'll race you for a hundred bucks. He says, make it a thousand. Now, the reporters were all around the batting cage, right? And they were eating this up. Oh, my God, look at this quote we got. You know, so it's in the paper the next day that Sotterholm's going to race Pearsall for $1,000 before the game.
0: <laughs> Come early, you
3: know? So so I said, well, you know, why don't we just go race right now? We'll go to Warren and say, oh, no, no. no. He says, I want to time around the bases where you have to slow up on your bad net left knee when you make your turns at the bases, that's where I'll make up the ground. I said, Fine, I'll bring a thousand dollars tomorrow, you be here with your thousand and we'll we'll do this. So I get to the park and there's a note in my locker from Bill Vec. Says, Come see me, don't put on your uniform, come see me immediately. I go up to his office and he's got his arms full and shaking his head and I said, Is this about the Pearsall race? He says, Absolutely. I said, well, I could beat him. He says, that's not the point, man. If you beat him, they're going to say you beat a 50-year-old guy that's had a heart attack. If he beats you, don't you realize he's on the mic every single night? He will run your ass out of town. And the third reason why I'm putting a stop to this is he said, what happens if you pull a muscle? Now, I'm the one that's screwed. And now you're out for a while with a pulled muscle because you're trying to beat Pierce on the race. I said, you know, Mr. Beck, I'm sorry. Uh, you're right. I apologize. So the race got canceled. But what happened was there was still this tension between Pearsall and I uh, about this issue, who was faster. So fast forward now four years, I'm on the Yankees. We just got beaten the playoffs a year before, had the best team. And I'm in top physical shape night, right before 1981, getting ready to go. So knowing we were going to go to the World Series. We just had a great team. And I get a phone call Hey, can you come down and play in a charity soccer game? We're raising money for cripple kids. we got a bunch of ex-jocks out here, and we're going to play a little soccer and kick the ball around, be charged people, and raise some money. And I said, fine, that's no problem. This is two weeks before I'm going to spring training, and I'm in top physical shape, worked out all winter, hitting, throwing, everything. I go down there, and guess who is the goaltender on the opposing team? Jimmy Pearsall. Oh, you're kidding me. And I, honest to God, and I'm going, <laughs> oh, God, Please just kick me the ball where I can get it in front of the goal about 10 feet away from me. And I'm going to kick the ball so hard at this guy that hopefully I'm right between the eyes or somewhere else, you know? And sure enough, here comes the ball rolling right up to me. And I'm 10, 15 feet away from it. And I run up to that ball to go to kick it. My leg slides up the ball. I, I, I lose my balance. I come down. I pop my anterior cruciate ligament and my career is over. Oh my in a goodness. charity soccer game, trying to get revenge against Jimmy Pearsall. And what I've learned later, the Buddhists have a very interesting philosophy. If you're going to hang on to the energy of revenge, you might as well build two graves One for them, but also one for you. And you know what, Jimmy? I live that thing. Oh my! I live goodness. that thing. My That's- career ended in a charity soccer game. Wow, you know what, Eric? You've had a blessed
1: life. Uh, you also have a blessed wife. Uh, the, the, she's the most amazing, uh, kindest soul Jenny, <laughs> uh, on the planet. Yeah, You've got an amazing yeah. family, and everybody listening. If you find yourself in the Midwest, if you find yourself anywhere near uh, the west part of Chicago, out in Hinsdale, Illinois, check out. It's actually, Slaughter
3: Willowbrook. It's a little south of Hinsdale. Yeah.
1: Yep, uh, check out uh, Solder World. Uh, come in, get a massage. Meet the legend, the, the, uh, the
3: legend <laughs> Eric and,
1: and definitely, you got to go out back and uh, check out this oasis in the middle of a big city. Hey, Eric, thank you yeah. so much. You always bring my E-level up, and uh, thanks for being on <laughs> man. You're the best. You're the best. You're the best, brother. Thank you, man. Look forward to seeing you again soon. That's an amazing story. Uh, I love the poem. I've heard that several times. Uh, he gets so fired up, and his E level goes sky high. And uh, and then what an ending! What yeah. an ending to his career based on revenge. But you know what? Uh, he was definitely a warrior athlete. He had a he had a solid career in baseball. Uh, and to see him go through a transition completely into a spiritual. Wellness mindset. Uh, He's loving what he does. He's doing what he loves. Eric Soderholm is definitely in the zone. And you know, he's in the zone.
2: Probably not as deep a level as that. But the more I hang out with you, the more I am just constantly surprised at your very interesting gang of friends. Uh, I I
1: mean, (laughs) I've got I've got some interesting friends. I got to give a shout out though to somebody that really loves what they do. I haven't checked on this person in a couple of years, and I pray that he's fine. Uh, I don't know him that well. I had a chance meeting with him. Uh, 92-year-old Jack Shallot. Been playing the violin for decades. He's a violinist. And I met him in a restaurant uh, in uh, outside of Cincinnati. Uh, walked into this restaurant. It was Patrilli's. Uh, Italian restaurant, and all of a sudden, here's this 92-year-old man strolling around, big smile on his face, playing the violin. And as soon as I met him, I, I could see in his eyes, he really loves what he's doing. And I asked him, I said, how long have you been doing this? And he said, I've been playing over 80 years, the violin. And I said, and you're still playing? He said, oh, I play here three nights a week. And he played my old Kentucky home for me, which was uh, pretty nice. But, you know, I've been blessed to travel around the world and meet so many people that genuinely are in love with what they do. And I think that's a missing element with a lot of people. A lot of us have jobs. Uh, We have to have a job. you got to put some food on the table, buy buy some shoes and uh, buy some clothes. But to really have the passion... The enthusiasm, the excitement of waking up every single day to do what you do, um, I can relate to it just like Jack Shalit. You know, I've been doing this for 43 years. I was up all night last night with some clients. I've got clients globally. I give them 24-7 access. Uh, So I I woke up with uh, not that much sleep, but I, I have to tell you, I love it every day. I'm going to have a surprise probably today and every day the rest of my life. And you know what I've learned, Seth, is that surprise is one of the greatest things in our lives. You'll, you'll find out that those surprise endings to a movie all of a sudden makes it a great movie. A yeah. uh, surprise ending to Eric's poem made it extremely you know, enjoyable. Surprise. It was a dream. Eric fell out of bed. Did not hit the home run to win the game. Um, Surprise birthday parties, uh, a surprise hug, a surprise visit, a surprise phone call to somebody you haven't talked to in a while. Uh, I would like to give everybody listening uh, a little armament of surprise. Go surprise someone with some positivity, surprise them with some energy and some enjoyment I, i'm telling you surprise is memorable it's indelibly etched um i've had a few surprise birthday parties i've given a few and you'll remember them the rest of your life so uh, make surprise a part of part of your living
2: and it boosts the uh, the e-level the enjoyment level in you and the other person so it is really a win-win right
1: Uh, Well, it's such a win-win. My my grandmother, God rest her soul, turned 90, and I found out she had never had a birthday party in 90 years. Not one. Wow. Not, Not a birthday party when she was four years old, five years old, with cake, ice cream, candles, presents, and friends. Can you imagine? 90 years on the planet, and my grandmother never had a surprise birthday party. So I decided to hold one, but I thought, I got to give granny a real surprise. So it was my mother, my daughter and I uh, in Ashland, Kentucky. My daughter was like eight, nine years old. And we're going to have a surprise birthday party. And I found a picture of my grandmother when she was in the roaring twenties. She was a flapper girl in the twenties. And I had this picture of her in a, I'll dress up in this roaring 20s outfit, and I had it blown up huge, and I brought it with me from Chicago, and so here's all the friends of my grandmother. They all have blue hair. Everybody's 70, 80 years old. I'm the youngest. Well, my daughter at eight is by far the youngest. I'm the next youngest. My mother is the next youngest, so it's a lot of elderly women celebrating her birthday of uh, uh, my grandmother, and I hire... A stripper I, I and and my mother's looking at me like what are you doing so I get this stripper and he's gonna dress up in an old man outfit and I got him a walker from a hospital rental store one of these walkers you know yeah. that you know you're you're struggling with some leg injury you're you're a hundred so all of a sudden uh the door opens to the uh to the event, Uh and an old man comes in, and I said, Granny, I brought someone for you. He saw your picture being made in Chicago, and he felt that was the most beautiful woman he'd ever seen, and he loved young women. Now, he's 100 years old, Granny, but he's come all the way from Chicago to see you. Now, I took him off to the side before he did this. And I said, you better not get down to a banana thong. And if my grandmother has (laughs) a heart attack, I will hold you liable. (laughs) My daughter's here. My mother's here. Make it clean. PG stripping. PG stripping. So he here I've hired a stripper. So he shuffles out in this walker, right? And everybody doesn't know what's going on. He's in an old man mask. He looks 100. And he goes, Ms. Callahan, I've heard so much about you. Come down here, honey, and I want to dance with some young women. Can you come down here and dance with me? I'd love to celebrate your birthday. And my grandmother's a good sport. She she uh, came down off this little stage that we'd built for, her, and uh, there's about 60, 70 people in the room. They're all laughing. He pulls out a boom box, and the music starts to play, and my grandmother starts to rock a little bit. You know, she's starting to... Sway with the music, the tempo's picking up, and then it picks up even more. And then he rips off his shirt, pulls off his pants, all these tear pants. And he's in a banana thong, and I'm like, oh my, and the gasp for the crowd. And I thought, oh my God, my grandmother's going to have a heart attack. And then he goes onto the floor and does the alligator my grandmother spanks him on the ass, and all hell breaks loose, and we all laugh. He leaves. I paid him 150-whatever bucks, and my grandmother came up after the party, and she said, that was the greatest birthday of her 90 years. She loved
2: it, and if that doesn't count as a surprise, I don't know what a surprise uh, is.
1: My my uh, daughter will probably uh, she's probably still in shock that I did that. My mother, <laughs> God rest <laughs> her soul, she was happy but also very upset with her only child. But you know what? Sometimes you got to have a surprise, and all the time, Seth, you got to laugh. You yeah. got to laugh every day, and uh, that's really what life's about. I want to talk about enjoyment. You know. You have to love not only what you do, but you've got to love the, the routines and the tasks. Sometimes the routines can get tedious in a, in a career or in a job, but you have to have this philosophy, there's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. Now, I've had that philosophy almost 50 years. There's no place I'd rather be than where I am right now. And you may find yourself in a challenging situation. But you know, the true champion gets inspired, gets fired up when there's a challenge. Not problems. We don't have those. You, you, you and I remember that. Yes. There's no P word in the score system. It's all about meeting challenges head on, having some passion, enthusiastic uh, mindset for solving them. So, Seth, how's your enjoyment level? You know what?
2: My enjoyment level this week has actually been um, really great. Uh, It it, it kicked off, I would say, Saturday night. Uh, Conor McGregor, Floyd Mayweather, one of the most watched sporting events ever and had some challenges with the pay-per-view as hundreds of thousands of other people did. But you know what? It was it was just the, the kickoff to a really great week. And I I got to have some relaxation on Sunday after a, you know, a lot of fun on Saturday night and got to have a great day on Monday. And then uh, going in later into the week, this is always one of my, my favorite moments. So I would say that, you know, I kind of came in like, you know, like Charlie Brown after we missed kicking the football last week. of like, Oh man, I'm not, in, I'm, I'm not there. How do I get back in the zone? And you helped me get there as I learn along with the audience here. And my enjoyment level this week is very, very high. And that's when you talk about the zone being the only place to be, um,
0: well, you, you know, it's
1: amazing. You can go through your day and not be smiling and not be aware of it, yeah. not laugh, and you're not aware of it, uh, no music, and you're not aware of it, and uh, I've seen people uh, and talk with clients that listen to music, and they're happy going to work, then they have a tough day on the job, and then when they come home, there's no music in the car, and Come back on the train from downtown Chicago. Come back on the subway at 5 o'clock in New York City. Uh, Be on the road at rush hour in Los Angeles. And when you see people coming home, they don't have happy faces. There's no enjoyment. It's pretty bland. It's almost like the energy got sucked out of everybody that's on the subway, on the train, or in their car in rush hour traffic. But you know what? In your own mind, you have free will. Find something that puts a smile on your face. And the one thing I want the audience to do this coming week is see if you can make 100 people smile. Can you make 100 people in a week smile? Count. I like going into the the airports and seeing the biggest, tallest, badass-looking guy. That's not smiling. You know, he looks like an axe murderer. And I like going up to that guy and put a big grin, a big smile. How you doing? What's going on? You know what happens almost invariably? He's the 6'5", 280-pound teddy bear, the <laughs> nicest, happiest guy on the planet. And uh, making other people smile is a boomerang. You know, I send it out. I get it back. I I get on the airplane. How you doing? I'm two levels above awesome. I'm awesome. And that greeting, that opening, stuns people. They're they're not used to somebody saying I'm three levels above awesome. I'm amazing. Best ever in my life. I I think just upgrading your hello uh, is going to add some dopamine and some enjoyment in your life because you're going to get such a response.
2: So if I can... Maybe join last week's episode with this week's episode, where you talked about just adding a little pause there between your first name and your last name makes people remember you more, makes them more engaged, right? So you upgrade your hello, and you upgrade the way you give your name. All of a sudden, you're starting a relationship with a stranger at a very different spot than if you just kind of walk up and you're like, "Hey, I'm in C34A." Eh?
1: Oh yeah, you're you're having a a little micro zone experience. It may be only twelve seconds, but. It's a purposeful calm, and you've got this feeling nothing can go wrong, and, and yet we have free will. We can share this freely any time we wish. Um, with the country the way it is, a lot of division. Uh, with the country the way it is in Houston, with a lot of challenges, we need a little humor. We need a little smiles. Uh, We need more laughter. And uh, if we all band together and bring some collective enjoyment, uh, we might be able to pick up this entire country. I'll tell you how powerful laughter is. Now, the U.S. Open tennis has started this week in New York, and it reminds me of when I was on the tour. Now, this was at Wimbledon. I'm coaching one of the top players in the world, Who admittedly was one of the worst grass court tennis players possible. As a matter of fact, my client had never won a tennis match on grass courts. Now, he was a French Open champion on clay courts. So a clay court, he was one of the best in the world. But on grass, he goes, that's for cows to eat, not me. (laughs) So here we are one week before Wimbledon. He goes out and plays a tournament. And he gets crushed. First round, loses. So, his record's still intact. He has not won, ever, a match on grass. Wimbledon is starting in one week. And he turns to me and he goes, I'm not having any fun. I need to get my enjoyment level up. Do you mind if I fly back to Italy for two days? I go, are you out of your mind? You're the worst player on grass, admittedly, by you. You just lost on grass horribly. Brother, we need to practice. We can't afford for you to go to Italy. Come on, my enjoyment level's so down. The score system was intact. This is 40 years ago. And he goes, I got to go. I got to go home. I want to see my son. Well, what am I going to do? I said, okay, you're going to be gone two days. You come back. We'll have five days to practice. And he leaves. Lo and behold, on the day he's supposed to get back, every airport in England is shut down due to a strike. No flights coming in and out of England from anywhere in the world. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So my guy can't get back. So now we only have four days to get ready. He can't get back. Three days to get ready. Two days to get ready. He's not back yet. And I'm thinking I gotta write a book, How Not to Get Ready for Wimbledon. That's my <laughs> that's gonna be my newest book, yeah. right? One day before Wimbledon starts, he comes back, we're gonna have one day of practice, and it's pouring rain so bad, all the grass courts are closed. No practice. And I'm thinking, We have not hit a ball. My guy hasn't practiced at all this week on grass courts. What am I gonna do? Well, I knew the number one player in the world, I knew his coach, and we found an indoor tennis court an hour away, indoor grass court, how unusual is that, an hour away. So I get into a car, we're driving on the wrong side of the road, it's pouring rain, and we get caught on a roundabout trying to find this place to practice against the best player in the world, and I start berating my player laughing. Awesome. I'm writing my book, How Not to Get Ready for Wimbledon. I can't believe you left. Uh, And I start laughing. I said, you're insane. I can't believe it. I can't believe I'm with you. I can't believe that I was here the whole week with you, without you, by myself, doing nothing. And I'm laughing. And he starts laughing. So it becomes very comical. We get to the indoor court. He goes out laughing. Crushes is the number one player in the world on grass. I'm in disbelief. I'm in shock. My guy didn't practice at all. He's terrible on grass, but we just beat the number one player in the world. Then the next day starts. I said, let's go warm up. And he goes, why? We don't practice. We don't go warm up. He starts laughing. I laugh. We go to the court where he's going to play his first match. He's laughing while he's warming up. And he wins his first grass court match. The second match. You want to practice? No. You want to warm up? No. No. (laughs) Why? We don't need to warm up. I'm awesome. And we laugh. He wins his second match. He wins his third match. No practice. Nothing but laughter. We laughed at the absurdity of what we were doing. Now, one week goes by, we're in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon, and my guy and I, both of us, we haven't hit one ball between us, we haven't practiced in the off day, and we had no warm-up. We just laughed, went to the court, no thoughts, and he won. So when the money's on the table and we're in the quarterfinals, Adriano Panada, the Italian, he comes up, and he goes, You know, this is getting kind of serious. Do you think we need to warm up? And I go, yeah, probably. We go out and warm up. My guy loses in five sets. Sometimes, Seth, you just got to laugh. And
2: you know what I love about how everything came together there? I don't think there's a better scientific experiment to to show the the power of enjoyment because you can't say, well, you know what's really good for true champions? Intercontinental flights. That just really puts somebody in the zone. I mean, it's not that. So we're just down to enjoyment.
1: Yeah, sometimes you got to laugh. You know, I've had so many situations like that where the missing ingredient was really enjoyment and passion. I'll tell you another one. I'm coaching a 6'5", 320-pound muscle-bound lineman in the NFL, and we're walking uh, near his uh, training camp, and I'm not even gonna tell you the name of the team or the guy, famous guy, but we're walking in a meadow and just us, and we're talking about the score system and we were talking about enjoyment and passion. And I, I looked up to him and said, uh, have you ever skipped? He goes, uh, you mean like when when you're four year old and you skip? I go, Yeah. And so I skipped about Five yards I said skip with me he goes have you lost your mind now he's looking around he thinks he's being punked right he thinks there's cameras in the woods we're in a meadow 6'5 320 pound guy and I'm asking him to skip with me in the meadow and, I, and he said I'm not doing it I said I quit he goes let me get this straight if I don't skip with you you're quit you're going to quit as a coach I said, if you don't skip with me, I quit. He goes, fine. And so here we are. We skipped about 10, 15 yards. He starts cracking up. He's laughing. He goes, you're crazy. I said, listen to me. Sometimes you'll, you'll need to skip. You're going to thank me later. The very next week, we're in an NFL stadium. I'm in, at the game. And uh, my guy's an offensive lineman. First series of plays of the game, playing the Vikings. My guy's offsides. He lined up offsides. So now the chains are going back the other way. Second down, same thing, except my guy has a penalty for holding on a pass play. change are going back the other way. Third down, another penalty. In one series, my client has three penalties going the opposite way. Now, the coach at the time was not only furious, he flung his headset at my guy as he came off the field. So what does my guy do? He sits down, does the light switch, puts his head up like he's seven feet tall, and acts like the most positive human on the planet as the head coach is cussing him out. The defense comes off the field. My guy maybe going back on. I'm thinking he's going to be in the Canadian Football League in a minute, right? <laughs> he's going to be shipped off to Toronto parka. for the Argonauts, right? And, but no, my guy's getting ready to go on the field, and Seth, he skips Serpentine into the huddle. The head coach takes his uh, flipboard and throws it at the line coach. I don't know what he says to him. He's so pissed. He is so upset. But my guy skips Serpentine into the huddle. First play, up scrimmage, he pancakes the guy in front of him. Keeps his balance, takes out the middle linebacker, keeps his balance, runs downfield into the corner of the stadium, a full out par- parallel to the ground block, takes out the strong safety. They score a touchdown. Sometimes you got to skip. You got to skip. It's all about adding some endorphins at the right time and right place. And I've had guys skip at the Masters, at Wimbledon at the U.S. Open, and I've had audiences, hundreds of people, skipping simultaneously in seminars. You got to skip, Seth. We may skip in a few seconds, you and me. And, you
2: know, I think sometimes it's it's easy to say, oh, it sounds like that could really work, but I don't want to look silly. You will not look more silly than an NFL lineman skipping into the huddle after he got a penalty for not knowing what a straight line is,
1: uh, Serpentine, right? Serpentine into the huddle. Well, it's uh, so many instances like that in my career. Um, in fact, I had a golfer call me yesterday, and I was talking about you got to love the challenge. You can get so heavy into being disciplined, you can get so serious with concentration. And that's really what a lot of people need and what they miss. But you can have too much discipline. You know, now you're anal, you know, trying to be meticulous and perfect. And a um, little bit of enjoyment may be the only balance that you need. It's going to attract the purposeful, calm feeling of the zone. Got to love what you do. Now, Seth, we got a we got a special guest right now. This may be my most special, most special? guest. Uh, My daughter, Colby, Colby Fannin, uh, whose name now is Sanford, uh, carrying my grandkid. We don't know if it's boy or girl, uh, but Colby's going to be on the air. And um, we're going to talk about enjoyment in her life growing up as uh, my daughter. And uh, she's a nurse in Manhattan. And uh, I'd love to welcome uh, my kid on the air. Colby, you're on the air. I love you. I'm glad you're here.
4: I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing?
1: And talking about enjoyment, Colby, when you were a baby, and I know you don't remember this, but you've seen pictures, you've heard us talk about this, you were always smiling, always laughing, always had your mouth open, and every time I saw you as a little uh, baby, uh, you made me laugh. I laughed constantly. Uh, You Uh were a funny funny kid, and you're going to be a mom, and and uh, I'm going to be Grandpa Jones here. I'm going to be a grandpa uh, baby due in October, so that's kind of fun. That's enjoyable. Hard uh, to believe, yeah. Uh, that, that, well, it's hard to be out. I'm going to be a grandfather. It's probably hard to believe that uh, you're going to have a, a child uh, of your own pretty soon. Colby, growing up, <laughs> you and I had so many fun times. Uh, Only child. I was an only child. Uh, I hope you had an enjoyable childhood. But growing up, we had to have two rules in our house, two major rules. And I've told you for a long time, there's only one rule in life. There are no rules. But growing up, (laughs) yeah, exactly. You can start laughing. Now, growing up, there were two rules for you. Do you remember them? Oh yeah, of course I do. Uh, and, and those rules would be:
4: those rules were go to bed happy and wake up happy.
1: Let me tell you something. You were going to bed happy and nightmare. I don't. I I thought you, <laughs> you, you you seriously you were you never wanted to go to sleep. You always felt yeah. that you were going to miss something, even when you'd go to your room you would still stay up. And that's early in your life. And I'm not even talking high school. And then the dreaded get up happy.
4: Yeah, these were hard. These were hard to follow. Going to bed happy was tough. I've never liked going to bed. I never, I always feel like it's too early. And being forced to go to bed when you're a kid is always a big, for me, it was a big bummer, a big letdown. But, um... Yeah, that made waking up harder because I hadn't had enough sleep, and uh, well, I, yeah, I, I, it makes for a tough, tough I, rule to follow. Actually,
1: trying to <laughs> trying to get you up is like waking up the dead. I and <laughs> it, it was impo- I've thrown water in your bed to get you up. Uh, yeah. I've said, "Hey, Colby, pound on the floor. I want to know that you're up." And uh, let me know that you're out of bed, and you would reach over and pound on the floor with your fist, and go back to sleep. Do you remember that? That caused a lot of trauma and stress because you're now going to be late for school. And then, do you remember the alarm clock that literally shook the bed? Do you remember that?
4: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I couldn't forget that. My to get me ready for college, mom was real worried about. How I do without the, without the help of my parents getting me up and at them in the morning. Got uh, from the medical supply store a hearing impaired alarm clock that was ear piercingly loud the the volume, and then it also had this piece that went between your mattress and backspring spring, and it vibrated the bed in these like pulses yeah, to shake you, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. to wake you.
1: Exactly, and and you know what's you know what's really sick about this. Yes, we did get the medical device for the hearing impaired. How many times I had to walk upstairs and turn it off while you're still sleeping through this uh, (laughs) annoying alarm. It was like, are you kidding me? Uh, You could sleep through almost anything. I never thought you'd have a job that required you to be at work before 12 noon. I thought that's impossible. And of course, uh, now (laughs) you're a nurse and… uh, you you have a lot of evening shifts and uh, I, I what shift are you on now? Are you on the morning shift or what?
4: When I started out as a nurse, I used to work from three p.m. to three a.m.
1: Oh, that's the Good. perfect. I found oh, something fire. that yeah that's Col- found Colby something Dodge. that
4: fit my schedule.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's
4: cold. And time. I did that for year. I've grown up. I've grown. I've I've started to become a person who goes to bed (laughs) on time, if you will, and wakes up early. And now I work at 7 a.m., which is kind of crazy to think of. I never thought I would do that.
1: I I remember one time you uh, overslept. Uh, You know, this is about the 10th time that you'd overslept. And your mom and I, uh, we quit. We quit as your parents. (laughs) Do, Do you remember this? This was... Uh, traumatic for you. And we went and got some coffee, sat in the car, and we told you we love you and we're going to be your friend, but we're not your parents. We've now formally quit as your mom and dad. And you're now late for school by about 30 or 40 minutes. And we told you, get up on your own or don't go to school. Doesn't matter. We quit. And uh, so we got in our car, got some coffee. We're about, you know, a quarter block away from the house. And about 40 minutes late, here you come with your hair disheveled. You're in grade school, running, almost crying. Uh, Thank goodness uh, we only lived a couple blocks from school. We called the principal and said that you're going to be late and that he should give you the riot act uh, to to, uh, punish you. Do you, do you remember that traumatic experience? Does that ring a
3: bell?
4: <laughs> um, yeah, I think I do remember that one. I remember going to school and telling my teacher that, that my mom quit, and she said, what? What, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> one of many phone calls home for some bizarre statements that, <laughs> that well, I made. Get up <laughs> in, happy. In the school.
1: Get up happy, go to bed happy, you know, paybacks, hell, you know, my grandkid is going to have the same challenge. It's going <laughs> to come back to haunt you. I'm ex- so excited about it because when the grandkid comes to stay <laughs> with me for a week or two, we're going to hang out. We're going to stay up all night. I'm going to really, I'm going to spoil this. Oh, kid. No. So mo- oh Yeah. Payback's a bitch, isn't it? It's going to be tough. But, Colby, when you became a teenager, we had to add rule number three. Do you remember that rule?
4: Oh, yeah. (sighs) Rule number three was be nice to mom because if mom's
1: not happy, nobody's happy. Oh, yeah. Get up happy, (laughs) go to bed happy, and make sure mom's happy or nobody's happy yes that that's the teenage rule i, I got to tell you something called I, I want to change the subject from uh because i I love you so much and i I loved being a part of your life growing up and watching you just turn out to be the most amazing person trauma nurse and uh living in Manhattan and uh, now going to be a mom uh But something happened the last time I was in New York with you. Are you aware that a shift occurred? In what? Yeah, exactly. In what? A shift (laughs) in our relationship. Are you aware of that? You're not aware, are you? There was a major shift. No, I mean. Well, let let me explain. I'm a coach, as you know. I'm the zone coach, all right? And I've been coaching and guiding you for Thirty-three years, and you've called me in the middle of the night in nursing school when your enjoyment was a little bit low. But I got to tell you, there was a shift, and I'm trying to resist the shift. Uh, I'm the coach; you're the player. But all of a sudden, my last trip to New York, you started coaching me. Okay, I want to hear this. I I, I couldn't believe it. You did. You the shift. You know, at some point. You know, when your parents get up in a little bit of age, although I'm still a young guy, uh, this child, and you're not a child anymore, but your children start coaching you. So the last trip to New York, unbeknownst to you, I've got some shoulder issues. You went to the doctor with me, and from my tennis playing days, I've got a little shoulder challenge, definitely my left shoulder, a little bone on bone going on. And you started yelling at me, what's wrong with you, dad? And you got to take care of it. And you started coaching me. I also noticed that the shift has occurred where you're coaching me, where you're helping me get up, you're helping me get out of a car, uh, you're doing all these. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm now the player. I'm not the coach anymore. You're coaching me. (laughs) And uh The shift has occurred, and I got to tell you something, I've been fighting it. And I started thinking, wow, does she know that she's coaching me now? I I don't know. Have you had that holy shit feeling uh, that you feel a tsunami? I've got my dad. I'm going to have a baby, and I've got my husband. Do you need to fortify and up your game? I mean, really, you may have three kids you got to take care of, and you're you're now (laughs) the coach. Has that hit you yet that – I may have to take care of my my old man here. Uh, I've got a kid, and no. of course, you know Zach. Or, or, or is everything cool? Has the shift occurred or not yet? What, what, what's what's the deal now?
4: No, I don't see. I just see what needs to be done and do it. Yeah, I don't really think about identifying all these things as big, you know, milestones or anything. I mean, I so think I'm it's okay. all too so I'm gradual. Okay.
1: So I'm okay. You're
4: okay. Oh you're okay. man, yeah. I was concerned. I did have to kick your butt a little bit though to make sure you go to the doctor. This has been going on for a while.
1: You know? Oh, you—you were brutal. Your
4: tennis, <laughs> your tennis you're, playing days, you know, they were a while ago, and you've had this issue. What? For some uh, time.
1: Uh. So. Yeah. Uh. So you're doing Me
4: being how? a medical person, you know, I was just like, uh, hello.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I got um, I, I to tell you, you know, I can't wait to get back to New York to see you. I'm excited about my grandkid that I'm going to spoil rotten. And um, I, and, and I got to tell you something, Colby. I love you more than stars in the sky and sand on the beach. My mother told me that. I, I've obviously told you that. Please <laughs> pass that line on to uh, our grandkid. We, we're not sure if it's going to be a boy or a girl. But whatever it is, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a happy baby because I know you're uh, a happy person, and uh, my awesome son-in-law Zach is a, one of the most happy people I know. So uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah, you mentioned that
2: uh, you you would call your dad in the middle of nursing school. You know, we're, we're talking about uh, um, enjoyment, right? There's not a lot of people that go to nursing school for the like cultural enrichment. Uh, I mean,
1: it's a pretty <laughs> brutal. Process. Oh, oh is that, first of all, it's worse than what it's worse than this. My daughter was enrolled in law school, not nursing school. <laughs> it, yeah, you're wow. laughing. You're laughing. You were going to law school. You got into law school, and you called me up. I'm thinking you're in law school. You call me up and you go, "Dad, I'm a nurse." I'm like, "What? A nurse?" yeah, dad, I'm a nurse. I, I'm not going to be an attorney. I'm a nurse. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, Don't worry, dad. It's not going to cost you any money. And, and, and then you went on to say, I already have a job. I'm already enrolled in Wright State uh, Nursing School. And I've got a loan. Everything's good. Dad, I'm going to be a nurse. And, and I remember my first thought was, you know, my mom was a nurse. My grandmother was a nurse. Your great grandmother, and I said, "Boy, don't do this for money. Don't. You got to love this. You got to love helping people. And you're such a kind soul. I knew you would be, and you are the best nurse on the planet. Uh, you've been nursing me with my shoulder, uh, mm-hmm. but talk about enjoyment. Then you get into nursing school, and you called me." Like two in the morning, do you remember that conversation? I don't want to be a nurse. I'm I'm well. Come on, do you remember? Yeah, I
4: was having a little bit of a a challenge, feeling a a setback kind of thing. Feeling like going forward was, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I was questioning everything, but I'm glad I persevered. You helped me.
1: Carry on, you know, never well, give up. You know, I, I remember that conversation and I, I remember making a statement. I said, you know what, Colby, one day you're going to save somebody's life. And I remember another late phone call I got from you telling me how you did save somebody's life. And um, I remember crying because I was so happy. Um that you were a nurse, and obviously uh, the family of the person you saved, they don 't even know uh, the half of it, but uh, y- you keep spreading that enjoyment, uh, y- you just have brought so much joy and happiness in my life, and you still do, you still do, and uh, I-, I love uh, hanging out with you and Zach, and i 'm going to love hanging out mm-hmm. with uh, the grandkid uh, we 're going to have a blast for sure yeah so yeah. Um, How's your enjoyment level right now? You're in the middle of a mall in Manhattan uh, carrying around an eight-pound kid probably. I don't know how uh, much, much the six. Kid, six pounds. Six pounds. With a uh-huh. month to go. Uh, yeah. Uh, so how's your enjoyment level?
4: Good. I'm having a great time. Living in a great place and... I enjoy my job and enjoy my time off and just a lot of fun. I enjoy my husband and yeah, it's awesome.
1: Yeah. He's, uh, he's easy to enjoy. He's, uh, he he doesn't have a mean bone in his body and he's always in a positive mood and, uh, coming and hanging out with the two of you is, uh, extremely enjoyable. And, uh, you made me happy uh, thirty-three year, almost 33 years ago, and you continue to do that. And And I'm so thankful that finally you get up happy. Well, I don't know. Do you still get up happy? you got to go to work at 7. <laughs> Is it still a challenge, or, or do you bounce out of bed with a smile on your face? How's that going?
4: No, it's better. It's definitely better. Um, pretty happy in the morning. I'm. i feel lucky the choices that i'm happy where i'm at it just helps to remember those things when that helps amp up the to the, the get out of bed happy factor you know go to so, bed yeah, yeah it's much better now <laughs> finally well, well you've
1: learned you've learned to frame your day get up happy go to bed happy and deal with whatever in between you know there's one more thing i, I have to to share. You and I've talked about this a lot, being a world-class decision maker. Um, how's that worked out for you? How, how We've talked about that a lot. 20 years ago, we talked about being a world-class decision maker. And, and I've told you so many times, you're only as good as what you think uh, when mom and dad aren't around. And, um, that's something I hope you can uh, instill in, in your your son or your daughter. Uh, yeah, turn in, uh, yeah. Turn
4: them into. About that
1: a lot. Yeah, turn them into decision makers, which unfortunately, got you got to let them, you got to let them uh, fail a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. I, I remember another yeah. happy time that almost made me unhappy. I'm going to share that with you. You came to me. I think you were. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You were a junior in high school, and you said, "Dad, I want to go to Bonnaroo," and and I'm like, uh, "Okay, all right, that's fine." What's I don't even know what Bonnaroo is. What What's Bonnaroo? And when I found out that Bonnaroo was like a hundred thousand crazy teenagers in a field in Tennessee listening to music and doing whatever else, I was like. Holy crap! Am I gonna let my kid do that uh, to go have fun and enjoyment? Uh, do you remember that experience? Uh, were you shocked when your mom and I said, yeah. "Yeah, you can go to Bonnaroo. No, no big deal." Do you remember that?
4: Yeah, I remember it. I don't. Um, I kind of expected you guys to let me go. I had a lot of freedom. In hindsight. Really. There was a lot of freedom and really three rules for
1: those rules. Yeah, we wanted you to be a decision maker. We trusted you. But I, yeah. I got to tell you something, letting you go to Bonnaroo. Yeah, uh, that must have been
4: so hard. I don't know if I could do that. To me, I, it oh it was God.
1: traumatic, especially when I found <laughs> This is like uh, Woodstock on steroids. I, I had me 200,000 yeah. people in a field in Tennessee. Uh, yeah, but you were like so that. passionate. I don't know if Dave Matthews' band was there. Were they? Was was that Dave Matthews band you you uh
4: No with no, some other bands. There's a lot of bands. Uh, there, there were was, yeah,
1: yeah, you had groups for
4: the, the whole experience.
1: Well, and then the craziest thing is we let you go twice. You actually <laughs> went two years in a row. I in hindsight <laughs> I'm like, What was I thinking to do that? So let me ask you a question. Your son or daughter that we don't know yet is going to make yeah. an, a big Earth debut this fall. Are you going to let your kid go to Bonnaroo when they're a junior in high school?
4: Oh, my God. I don't know. It's hard. I don't even know if I'm going to let them have Facebook. I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. It's so hard. All these things seem so dangerous now. I mean, I'm sure they were then, too, but. Well, I can't imagine. uh, I can't imagine how hard it is to have a newborn. And then sometimes I really get freaked out thinking about a teenager. (laughs) Can can you walk me
2: through (sighs) getting Colby to be a a world-class decision maker to where the Bonnaroo thing was like, okay, we raised this kid. Well, she can do this.
1: We let uh, Colby was a tennis player, a very good tennis player, a ranked, you know, ranked in Chicago, ranked regionally, you know, top tennis player, got a full scholarship. You know tennis. There's no coaching, and you got to be your own decision maker. So yeah. if you're losing, you better make a decision to flip the script on the match, or or you're gonna lose. And uh, we let her fail on what many occasions, and um, I let you make decisions. I'll tell you one of the first decisions that you made. Uh, it was pretty interesting. You wanted uh, – somehow we were watching, I think, the Winter Olympics and the ice skaters were on TV and, you know, the the ice skaters look cool and smooth and you wanted to be an ice skater. So you said, Dad, I, I want to do ice skating. And I'm thinking, I own a tennis club and my kid <laughs> wants to be in ice skating. I'm going to have to get up at 3 in the mornings because the ice – time won't be available at peak times. But I remember taking you to the ice rink and we get out there and you fell. You must've been five, six years old maybe. And you fell a whole bunch of times. And I could tell by your body language, it wasn't as much fun as you had seen it on TV. And you came over and you go, dad, it's too cold.
3: (laughs) I'm like, I'm like,
1: and I'd already paid, I think, for eight ice skating lessons. And I go, what do you want to do? And you looked at me, and she goes, let's go. And, and <laughs> I, I let you, instead of making you stay there, I let you make that decision. Uh, I was kind of glad so I didn't have to get up at three in the morning to drive you to an ice rink. But, <laughs> you know, I, I let you make decisions early. Yeah. Your mom and I did. And uh you made some good ones. Uh, you had a couple of bonehead boyfriends that I still go, what were you thinking? But um, <laughs> we, we allowed you to fail. We allowed you to succeed. And, uh, and we trusted you. I mean, that's the bottom line. And uh, yeah. Yeah, we did. And, and that's why Bonnaroo, uh, believe me though, while you were at Bonnaroo, we couldn't get in contact with you. Uh, that was traumatic. Yeah, you're uh, off the grid. Oh, yeah. totally. Yeah, we're off the grid. You're off the grid. And uh, uh, But still, I, I always knew that you were a decision maker, and that was honed early in your life, five, six, seven, eight years old. And we, we used to let you dress however you wanted to dress. Oh, my God you wore a few things to school that I still am like, what were you thinking? But that was you. Uh, you you liked secondhand clothes. I don't know why, but you did. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, but you had your own drummer. <laughs> you, had, you had your own drum beat, and uh, we just let you play the drums the, in your mind the way you wanted to.
2: Now, yeah. let's talk about how enjoyment um this is something, Colby, that you, um, you learned was a, a big deal when you were a kid, right? Like this was, this, you know, there's only two rules and both rules had to do with enjoyment. Go to bed happy, wake up happy, right? Um, how was this something that was instilled in you from a young age? And how did this, how has this affected you throughout your life?
4: It's really helped me always see the the bright side of everything. Like, like um, any experience I've had, even if even if there's been some challenges or some growth that's come out hasn't been the easiest path or it's been maybe even a bad idea. I still see all those things as positives. I see them as experiences I've had that made me right now and get me steps along the way and and I can find the positives in all those and I don't I think some people don't do that. Not, not one does that. And I Think that that's that's how commitment factor has really impacted my life. I see the of everything I've done and and everything I do, and I can remember a time when Dad and I were in. The hospital. Um it was a really sad day, we were there to see his mom, who wasn't doing very well, and that was those were some of her last days actually, and and we were really. You know, it was a bad time. But um, we're walking through the hospital hallways. And, you know, you're a big hospital, you make all these turns. You come in the main entrance, you go down this big hallway, you take the left, you take a right, you go to the elevators, you go up to the floor you need and all this. And we get to the corner, and he goes, all right, well, do do what I do. And I go, okay. And he goes around the corner, and then we take the left. <laughs> so I, we go to the spin, and then we take the left down the hallway. And it just, we cracked a smile for a second. And then we get to the next corner and it's time to take a right. And he does another spin and I spin too. And then we take the right and then we get to the elevators and we go upstairs. And, you know, and it just, I mean, it just, it helps you be present, I guess. I guess that's what it is.
1: You, you and I did a lot of crazy things, but, you know, we were definitely spontaneous. And uh, I, I, I hope you... Enjoyed your childhood. I did everything possible. I traveled quite a bit. Yeah. Um, But I I hope you did. I got to share one thing that makes me laugh. Uh, You gave a speech. I think your first public speech in third grade, and you had to give a speech about what a parent or grandparent uh, did for a living. And I, I was traveling at that time, and uh, I, I don't know where I was, maybe in Europe. <clears throat> so I, I wasn't, uh, I didn't, didn't get to see you prepare for this speech. But you were going to give a speech uh, about what I did for a living. And you got in front of your third grade class and you said, my dad talks on the phone and people send him money. And then you bowed and sat down.
4: <laughs> and and, uh,
1: and the, teacher, the teacher thought I was a bookie. She thought I was running some kind of numbers game or something. She thought I was doing something totally illegal. And I remember going to a PTA meeting. The teacher came up to me. and She goes, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a coach. And I talk to people on the phone. And she goes, oh, thank God. I thought you were a bookie running numbers or gambling. <laughs> so uh, I got a big laugh out of that. We laughed a lot, Coles. We laughed every day. Yeah. There Get up happy. Yeah. Get up happy.
2: Go <laughs> to bed happy. That that spinning around thing, by the way, that, I mean, that sounds like a Robin Williams movie or something. I mean, that's so <laughs> cool.
1: Uh that was spont- spontaneity. Uh it was a somber moment and yeah, uh, yeah we just started basically doing weird <laughs> spins walking down the <laughs> corridor of a hospital acting uh, crazy and acting goofy. So tell me
2: Maybe if we could touch on um, enjoyment in, so you're a trauma nurse. A little on the intense side, right?
4: Well, to me <laughs> well,
2: in the middle of all that.
4: I'm an emergency room nurse, and I used to work a trauma center. A lot of traumatic injuries would come in, and other emergencies too. Yeah, I'd be enjoyable. I mean, it's, it's certainly not for everybody, so you have to really let that kind of work. It's an intense, um, adrenaline pumping uh, very quick acting, seconds matter, you know, everything has to be on point. Yeah, I really like the teamwork aspect of it. I like everything about it, actually. Yeah, I just find I I really enjoy that work. It's not yeah. fun. Um, you know, it's not that kind of enjoyable, but it's important. And uh,
1: that that goes back to your grandmother, my mom. Uh, she came and watched me play at played a tennis match. She goes, baby, why don't you have fun? You're always got this look on your face. You never smile. I go, mom, I'm in competition. Uh, this is not yeah. kumbaya, but I enjoy it. I love it. And I remember telling her, mom, I love the challenge. And, mm. and I think that's something hopefully that uh, was instilled with you that, you know, life doesn't always bring you flowers and roses and uh, uh, positive things that there are Mm -hmm. challenges. and But you got to enjoy solving them and and meeting them head on. Mm -hmm. You learn that in tennis, and I'm so happy. And people are blessed. Your hospital is blessed to have you because you're not only disciplined, but I know you make everybody around you uh, enjoy being there, Uh, that kind of camaraderie. Uh, How about your team that you're with right now, nursing. Um, enjoyment in that team? Passion? Oh, yeah.
4: yeah, oh, yeah. We It's a great, the emergency room can only work well when teamwork is, when everybody's on board. Yeah, I work with a great crew of people. They're amazing. They're all really smart and uh, excellent at their jobs, and we have fun in between the moments of as we have a lot of fun. Well,
1: We're always laughing and Colby. <clears throat> you're getting ready to um, enter a new phase of your life. I, I guess I am too, Grandpa. I want you to enjoy it. I, I, I know that birthing is not necessarily <laughs> a ha-ha enjoyable thing. But I do know this. the first time I saw you with your head poking out and the first time you saw the light of day, You had a smile on your face. Uh, You you not only uh, wake up happy and go to bed happy, you came out into the world with a smile. And I really hope that you keep that smile and pass that on uh, to my grandson or granddaughter, because I got to tell you something. I've enjoyed you for 33 years. You are the Mm -hmm. light of my life. I, I love you with all my heart. Well, thanks, babe. Uh, yeah. Go slow. Don't go fast. Be cool. Take care of my grandkid <laughs> and uh, keep enjoying the journey. And I'll talk to you really soon, all right? Tell, say hi oh, to okay. Zach. All right, all baby. All right, I will.
2: And now this is the part where you get access to world-class coaching just like some of the top athletes, titans of industry, and best performers in their field around the world. You can shoot an email to jim at jimfannon.com dot com dot right number one here hey jim i'm a goalie on a very weak jv soccer team the coach is a pretty good guy but he doesn't really know a lot about the game and a lot of my teammates are there for the social aspect i'm really trying to develop my skills and play in college but it's also going to be a frustrating season it looks like we could lose a lot how do i find enjoyment while i keep working on what i need to do
1: well, that's a tough situation, especially when you're on a, a team that maybe is not as disciplined. Um, the person that executes the basics, especially when the money's on the table in a game, is going to pick up the money. So my advice is hone the basics of your game. But you got to take it to another level. You've got to own, not just hone, these basics. And I would visualize with task imagery, seeing you put the ball into the into the uh, into the net behind the goal, uh, the goalie. Uh, I would see you uh, playing defense. I, I would see myself uh, taking my opponent to the right or to the left with whatever moves that you have. But I would go through each move that you know you'll use over and over again in a game, and I would visualize those tasks being uh, completed, seeing them as if it's so. The second thing I would do is get into the love of the game itself. you got to love the game, be a positive student of the game, uh, and then when you're there, just do the best you can to not only focus on what you can control, which is your section of the field, how you respond to uh, offense or how you respond to the defense and just control what you can control. But you've got to love the challenge because you have a challenge. You're on a team that maybe is a little too social. You're with a coach that maybe is not an expert. Uh, That's a challenge. Meet this challenge head on. You're going to be better off for it. And I'm not goofing around at all when I say, I bet there's some unique opportunities out
2: there in your future If you are the one who keeps a really positive attitude and winds up being the best player on a team that maybe isn't the most focused on winning, people are going to notice that. And that's going to unlock other doors in the future.
1: It really will. Uh, Control what you can control. That can be enjoyable.
2: Number two, Jim. I love my job, and a lot of times there's significant margin built in, but sometimes I do have very fast trips around the country where I land go to meetings, and go right back to the airport. I'm looking at you as a guy that I think knows a lot about airports. Weeks like that are really tough for me to keep my head above water. How do I find the zone of enjoyment in moments like that?
1: I go into a travel coma, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, this is a secret that needs to be shared. It's a secret that needs to be shared. I, I do. I go into Fanninland. Um I had a trip around the world. I saw I don't know how many countries in 10 days. My luggage never caught up with me, and um, I wasn't fazed by it. So I, I, I've, I've made up my mind that I will not allow travel or people that I'm traveling with, especially strangers, change my mindset and not impregnate my mind, almost immu- immunize myself uh, from the travel. So I, I think in those situations, first of all, you need to hydrate a lot. It's easy to get dehydrated. At that point, your enjoyment level is going to drop. Uh, your discipline and concentration, we already know, will drop. Secondly, I, I'm listening to music when I travel. I've got my headsets. Uh, I go into gym land or Fanninville, whatever you want to call it, my own little, little world. Uh But I'm sending out smiles and laughter. I'm talking to people. Never met a stranger. Uh, I just find it fascinating traveling because so many people are unhappy when they travel. Travel is more stressful today than ever before. Going through security, that's stressful. I wasn't like that 40 years ago. It's very stressful now. And I I think it's just an attitude. That's just part of your deal. That's part of what I do. I still travel in an inordinate amount of time. But I go into a travel coma, if you will, of um, I'm immunized. There's nothing that can happen. If my luggage doesn't show up, oh well. I've given seminars to a group dressed up formally. All the men are in coats and ties. And I'm going to warm up because I just walked off the airplane and my luggage hadn't shown up. (laughs) So, you know, it is what it is. And if you keep laughing, laugh at the situation, keep your enjoyment level intact, you're going to be fine, but you might need a big shot of dopamine, there's no question, and laughter will give, give it to you.
2: And I think part of enjoyment there is just realizing that even though you know, there is an element that you can see is grinding, if I can quote the comedian Louis C.K., you know, New York to L.A. in five hours, but that used to take two and a half years.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, that. well, yeah, it, it, exactly, especially in the Conestoga wagon in the 1700s. Yeah, that was a grueling trip, five hours. You know, the travel, it's just one of those necessary evils you got to do. And I would enjoy it because I've met the most interesting people and I've developed friendships with people that I've met. I got stuck in a snowstorm uh in in Chicago but I'm trying to get back there O'Hare is closed so I can't I'm in Orlando and I've got to uh get a hotel room in Orlando and uh and I do and there's one room left and there's two of us and I remember this guy worked John Christopher I remember his name he worked for New York Life and we started laughing at our plight you know here's our situation and we started talking about planes trains and automobiles you know the john candy yeah crazy movie and uh and i said there's one room there's two queen beds thank god do you want to go for it and i shared a room with this guy
2: <laughs> right <laughs> yeah we had,
1: we had there's only one room and uh, luckily we had two beds but we laughed about it and we've maintained a friendship so you know. When things aren't going well, if you have a bright outlook about it, if if you're laughing about it, you're going to connect with other people, and you may meet somebody you'll have as a friend for the rest of your life. So I meet the most interesting people, especially in tough times on the road.
2: And a lifelong friend um, is worth the pain of a snowstorm,
1: right? Uh, Exactly. It's a small price to pay for somebody that's a friend, no question about it. Well, let's
2: go ahead and pull up to the Zone Cafe and uh, help you get what you need here. Well, uh,
1: the SCORE success system has five components, self-discipline, concentration, optimism, relaxation, and enjoyment. The listeners know that these five ingredients uh, will produce chemicals naturally in your body. And when all of those components are at their highest, uh, the Zone arrives, that purposeful Calm feeling. So here you are. You're yes. at the drive up window of the Zone Cafe, and you've only got five things on the menu. And Seth, you got to pick one. Do you want a giant plate of self discipline, the willingness, the commitment to stay with a task, to reach well defined goals, patience, strategy, tactics? Would you like to order that? Do you need that in your life? Or would you like A big slab of concentration. I'm talking about the ability to focus for longer periods of time, locked into the moment. No future, no past. Would you like concentration? You can order that if you'd like. Or maybe a big bucket of optimism, belief, expectancy, knowing that what you have is enough. You could order that. I mean, you know that may give you an edge, but maybe... A big, tall, smooth drink of relaxation. One sip from that straw, man, you're going to feel peaceful, calm, effortless, smooth. Do you need a drink of relaxation? Or maybe after you listen to this today, maybe you need a giant box of enjoyment to have that with you where you can laugh at all the challenges that you have, and maybe you can laugh in the face of adversity. So what do you need to order, everybody? Pick one of those meals. That's the meal you'll chew on for the next couple of days. You're at the Zone Cafe. What do you need to go to that next level?
2: And I'm going to go ahead and I've gone to this a couple of weeks now. I'm going to go to optimism. Just when I look at, at at the next 4 days, optimism is the thing that I think is going to put me over the top in in several situations.
1: Well, you know, if you look in your mind at the word score, s c o r e. If you can see that in your mind right now in front of you, right in the heart, the center, the core, literally in the word itself, but also Figuratively, in this system itself, this thought management management system, it's optimism. Yeah. It's your belief system. And Seth, it's the glue that'll hold you together. Uh, most people, I believe, need discipline. That's where you get your blueprint. A lot of people today, I was with a group uh, of high school uh, golfers uh, last night. Another group, I coach a few high school teams in different sports. I do that for fun. Um, I ask everybody what they needed. They all needed relaxation. I mean, every guy rated the relaxation low. It's the second group in a row uh, of young men that need relaxation. But it's up to you. This is your score level. It's it's unique, like a fingerprint. Your score level is something you have in common with every human on this planet. Every person has a higher low level at any given time of. Self discipline. Every person has a higher low level at any given time of concentration, optimism, relaxation, and every person on this planet, billions of people, have a higher low level of enjoyment. And you're responsible for that chain, that domino chain of S C O R E. You're responsible for making all repairs, all changes all adjustments, and with free will, you can do that. And this week, let's make it National Enjoyment Week. You got to love what you do. You got to do what you love. I'm Jim Fannin. You've been on the Jim Fannin Show with my sidekick producer, Seth Hurd. Seth, tell everybody what you think this week.
2: I think that I'm going to keep riding this thing. Um, I, this was so much fun. And, and I, I get a lot of enjoyment thinking about how we are able to take this to so many other people, including um, an increasing number of my own friends and family that, that keep finding this thing. And they're like, whoa, th- this is working out for me here. And I, I just love being able to not only you know grow along with you, but be a part of delivering this for you, knowing that you're going to have a better week, a better month, a better year as you implement the score system.
1: And everybody in Houston, if you're listening to this podcast, keep your chin up, keep thinking positive thoughts, find some humor, and I know this is not a humorous time. I know this is not an enjoyable time. Many of you, you've lost not only your home, uh, your, your, your car, your clothing, your valuables, hopefully no one's lost any relatives, it's a tough time, but America... This is what makes us the best country in the world. We can find enjoyment. We can do that. And with all the volunteers that are going down there, I tip my hat to all of you. You make America the greatest country in the world. Thousands and thousands of volunteers are going to Texas. So to all my friends, all my clients, all the listeners that are in the Houston area, get in the zone, everybody this will pass I'm Jim Fannin have an awesome week and keep your enjoyment level as high as possible
2: I'm Jerry Petock, CEO of Radio Influence I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast there are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out if you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist, so thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com.